I know uh, some of you are asking why I'm not running with the pastor. Well, I was going to. But uh, I said, listen, go ahead, you run, and I'll just come here. And what? Yeah. Uh, if you got one of these this morning, uh, you probably will need this, because I have a very bad habit, those of you who know my uh, kind of, uh, the way I go through scripture passages, I sort of break them up my own way. And uh, so uh, it's broken up my own way, and there's an outline in here, so it'll be much easier to follow. If you want to follow in your Bible, that's fine too, but if you have a bullet, then that'll help you. And there's a second page in here also, which has to do with a little bit of a timeline that we'll get to in a moment. Uh, But today, uh, we are continuing on with the minor prophets with a prophet named Well, I don't know how you pronounce his name. So I thought we might vote this morning, and you can pronounce it any way you like, and whichever way we decide today, we'll explain to James that's the way to pronounce it next week, okay? So you have your choice. It's either Habakkuk or Habakkuk. And I looked it up. Both are fine, you know, so, and you might catch me today. I might go back and forth. I'll forget what I started with, okay? But we'll start with Habakkuk, okay? So that's the name of this prophet. He's an Old Testament prophet, Habakkuk. And as you know, we've uh, been assigned some passages. So these are the passages that were assigned for today in chapters 1 and chapter 2. It breaks down into five paragraphs. So I have five points. No three-point sermon this morning. Five points. Won't take us very long, no. This is relatively simple. First, a little timeline. This Habakkuk, this is a prophet who lives in the days of Judah and Jerusalem before Babylon takes this part of the kingdom into captivity. The northern kingdom has already gone into captivity by Assyria. This prophet begins to prophesy what he sees and what concerns him in the days of Judah and Jerusalem before Babylon takes them into captivity. Now, let me say this. What this prophet writes for us is very important to the prophet because he has a problem. Secondly, this is very important to the people of Judah because they have a problem. And lastly, guess who else this is important to? Us, because we tend to have some of the same problems. And part of those problems have to do with how we see things. Now, I don't know how you feel about these things, whether you think about these kinds of things, but we all do not see things the same way. You recognize that, don't you? You know, you have an idea, you think it's a great idea, you tell it to your friend, your friend says, that's the most stupid idea I ever heard. Because they don't see it that way. And it's all kinds of things that we don't see the same way. I graduated from college and I thought that I knew just about everything, and I certainly knew how the best way to learn was. Back in the days I graduated from college, there was a big thing going on because the Japanese were advancing so fast, and they were teaching people how to learn by rote memory. And I was learning in my college degree of psychology that that's not the best way to learn. The best way to learn is to think and apply and then put it into practice. So there was rote and then the way I thought. And I remember going to grad school. And I remember the first final exam from one professor. 
And he made this announcement. He said, we're going to have five essays to answer on the final exam. They'll be short, one paragraph each. And I thought to myself, well, okay. He said, it's going to be on the material that we went over in class. I said, okay, this is going to be a no-brainer. So I said, uh, excuse me, I raised my hand. I thought in those days you could do that. Raised my hand. He said, yes. And I said, well, do you want us to write what you said? Or do you want us to write how we interpret this, how we have taken this and we want to apply this? And he looked at me like I'd lost my mind. He said, I want you to write what I said. I said, okay. Well, I aced the course and did great in this uh, arrangement. Once I understood, that was how he thought people learned. We don't always agree about things, do we? As a matter of fact, I don't know how impressed you are with all this, but there is a whole difference of opinion concerning people who live in the West, that's us, Europe, North America, South America, the way we think about things and the way we see things, and the way Easterners see things, people in China and Japan and Nepal in India, they don't see things the same way. People write books about this, so I'll just go over a few. You know, people in the West tend to think of honoring achievement. We're really good at that. I just went to one of my grandson's graduations night before last. Honor achievement. In the East, they honor austerity. In the West, we believe in the vitality of youth. In the East, the wisdom of years. Different. In the East, they practice the freedom to be silent. In the West, we talk about the freedom of speech. In the East, they enjoy family. In the West, we enjoy the rewards of work. Now, I share all this with you only because we see things differently. In the West, we execute the plan. We are rational. We are linear thinkers. In the East, they just kind of go along with the now. A big difference. Now, this prophecy of Habakkuk has to do primarily with this nation of Babylon. So just a moment, we talk about Babylon. Babylon is the upcoming kingdom. The kingdom that is advancing in size. The kingdom that is beginning to move through the world. These words are not to Babylon, but in some ways they're about Babylon. So here's the first paragraph. The first paragraph is that the prophet cries out to God. There is a problem in Judah and in Jerusalem. And so the prophet sees the problem and he talks to God about the problem. The problem seems to be threefold. And you probably won't have too much trouble identifying the problem, because what is Jerusalem and Judah's problem eh, sounds a little bit like our problem. Here it is. It has been a long time, Habakkuk says to God. This has been going on for a long time. Chapter 1, verse 2. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help or cry to you violence and you will not save. You know, I remember when I was a kid growing up, nobody ever locked their car door. 
We used to leave the keys in the ignition of our cars in case somebody needed to borrow it. Never locked your house. I don't know about you, but I got an alarm system on my house. I'm really concerned about somebody breaking into my house and stealing things. I don't even have anything valuable. I don't go downtown very often late at night because somebody's going to hit me in the head and take something or at least hurt me. Habakkuk looks around and he says, Lord, he says, it's been going on for a long time now. How long is this going to go on? It's, it's, it's troublesome here in Judah and Jerusalem. This is how he sees it. Chapter one, verse three. You make me, Habakkuk says to God, you make me see iniquity. You idly just look at wrong. Hey, you can't get away with this, can you? You have any problems with this today? Don't turn on your television if you don't want to see iniquity. Don't turn it on. If you don't want to see any violence and trouble, don't turn it on. You're cutting heads, people's heads off. There's, there's terrorists all over the world. Hey, it's bad. There's violence in our streets and country. It's bad. And I can see going to God and saying, hey, oh, yo, hey, this has been going on a long time. What's the deal here? What's the deal? You just sit idly by and you make us watch all this stuff that's going on all around us. You don't have too much trouble identifying here, do you? Then he says in verse three, this is what I see. Destruction and violence, strife and contention. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. You see those kinds of things? Relationships and families are hurting. Strife, arguments, laws that don't seem to work anymore. It's a tough place to live when those kinds of things are happening. So Habakkuk cries out to God, what is going on? When are you going to do something about this problem? Have you ever prayed that recently? Yeah, we probably have. Well, here's paragraph two. God answers the prophet. It's pretty good. I ask, God answers. God says, I am at work. Good news. Chapter one, verse five. I am doing a work in your days. That's what God says. That you would not believe if you were told. This is such a good work that God is doing. You wouldn't even believe it if I told you. Well, this is great. This is a positive from God. God is going to do something to solve the problem in Judah and Jerusalem. Here's what God says. The Chaldeans are coming. Verse 6, chapter 1. I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. God said, I got good news for you. I'm going to fix the problem. The Babylonians are coming. The Babylonians. The Babylonians are horrible. The Babylonians are just terrible people. The Babylonians are destroying everything in their sight. The Babylonians are coming. Now the northern tribes have already been taken into captivity by the Assyrian Empire. The whole kingdom of the south should have seen what happened in the north. And God says, apparently you didn't get the message. So here come the Babylonians to solve your problems. 
Now look, folks, we don't live in a theocracy like Judah. Judah was a theocracy living under God. We don't have that. You can't apply this to America. We can only kind of skirt around the edges. But if you cried out lately to God and you said, what are you going to do about this, God? It's a mess here. And God answered, suppose God answered, don't worry about it, I'm going to fix it for you. I'm sending the Islamic State. What? Because that's exactly what Habakkuk responds. What? You're going to do what? Now we get to paragraph three. The prophet chokes over God's words. First choke. No, you are much too holy to do this. Chapter one, verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my holy one? Verse 13. You who are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. I really appreciate Habakkuk in this. You know, it's always good to remind God who God is. (laughs) We do that too, don't we? We get trapped into that little thing. God, you, you, you don't really understand. Oh, God understands. We just don't always think the same way. Habakkuk raises the question, how can you do this? Chapter 1, verse 12, second part. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? In other words, Habakkuk says, the solution that you offer is worse than the problem that we have. But the simple answer to this is, Habakkuk, you're cursed with a problem that most of humanity has. We just don't see things the same way God sees things. And that causes problems for us often. That brings us to the fourth paragraph. The prophet now has resolve. Chapter 2, verse 1. By the way, I like this because it sounds like he has now painted God into a corner. You know, he told God, you got to do this. is not the right thing to do. He kind of put God in a corner. Now God is going to have to do something. So Habakkuk says, I will just wait here and see what you're going to tell me. Don't you love that? Chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post. This is probably the place where he goes to be alone with God, maybe early in the morning. He said, I'm just going to go to my place where I sit and I watch and I'm going to listen and hear what you have to say because I've painted you in a corner. You know you can't do this. You are too holy, too righteous for this. You can't do this. So how will you respond? And then he adds, I will just wait to listen from you. Verse one, to see what he will say to me. Because God owes him an explanation. Just like God owes me an explanation. Just a year ago this month, Barb's younger sister died from cancer. She wasn't sick. Two months diagnosed cancer, gone. Now a whole year has passed, and I can't tell you how many times we sit and we say, why did this happen? How could this happen? You've all been there. You've all done those kinds of things. 
God doesn't owe anyone an explanation. We just don't think the way God thinks. And that's a problem to us. And then Habakkuk adds, I will consider how I will respond when you answer me. Chapter 2, verse 1 continues, what I will answer concerning my complaint. In other words, I'm going to just think about this and I'm going to think about what I'm going to say to you when you answer me after you try to address the issue that you cannot do what you've told me you're going to do. So paragraph five, God responds. This is the end of it. God says, it stands as I said it stands. Chapter two, verse two. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. It's kind of interesting what that means. You're not sure whether it means you can run away when you read this or whether you can just continue the course, keep going on, like they're down there running a marathon right now. Just keep running. Just keep going till the end. Not sure. Sounds a little bit like best thing you can do is run away because one thing is sure. This is going to happen. God said this will happen. And it will. Chapter 2, verse 3. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. Might not come tomorrow. Might not come in 30 years. But Habakkuk says to the people, it will happen. God will do what God said he would do. This is the response. God says, this is what you should do in response to what will happen. Chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. We don't know if this is the soul of Babylon that is puffed up, or if this is the soul of Judah that is puffed up. Doesn't matter. God says, you know, when the soul is puffed up, it becomes evident and God must work. But for the righteous, the righteous shall live by faith. It's on the front of your worship folder this morning. The righteous shall live by faith. These words of Habakkuk were picked up by the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. The righteous shall live by faith. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, the righteous shall live by faith. The writer of the Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 38, but my righteous one shall live by faith. Do you understand this? The plan of God stands. Babylon will come to Judah. Babylon will destroy the Assyrian Empire. Babylon will move Judah out of their land and take them into captivity. The plan will continue when Persia will destroy the Babylonians and the Persians will let the Jews go back to their land under Ezra and Nehemiah. And the whole thing will wait for the coming of the Messiah. But it will be as planned, whether we like it or not. Merle F. Unger was one of my favorite Old Testament professors in seminary. And I love this comment that he wrote concerning this particular passage of scripture. This is what he says. I think it's up there. The sovereign God 
has the incontestable prerogative of dealing with the wicked in his own time and way. As for the righteous, they shall live by faith. This is not too complicated, is it? Now that's the end of this passage. So we should quit here, right? No, 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 no. Because we want to have our peace. We want to say what we think now. There's a response to all this. So we should look at the response. Here's the first response. I don't like this description of God. I don't like a God who's a judge like this. I don't like a God who's going to raise up a a vicious, terrible nation like Babylon to destroy his own people. I don't like this kind of a God. I don't want this kind of a God. I reject this kind of a God. And if you haven't heard that argument, you haven't been talking to anybody lately. That's very popular. Now, everybody has the choice to make. You can do it that way. You can respond to God by saying, I just don't want you in my life. I don't want you. I don't like this description of you. I wouldn't do what you say you're going to do. That's your choice. But that choice may be a little shallow. Based on some reasoning, this reasoning being, first of all, I maybe don't really understand God. Have you ever thought about that? I don't really understand God. Back in 1946, when most of you weren't even alive yet, my mother, who was a first grade teacher, gave me this book, The Churk and Deuce. I was eight years old. I must have read this book a hundred times, if not more. And then Ray Bolger came along. Some of you remember Ray Bolger? And he sang the song about the Churk and Deuce. I want to tell you about the Churk and Deuce. The Churkindoose lived in a barnyard. The Churkindoose was not a chicken, not a turkey, not a duck, and not a goose. But somehow, all the eggs got all mixed up, and what came out was a Churkindoose. I was fascinated by that. How can that be? See, I don't understand the Churkindoose. And neither do you. Now, I don't know why Ray Bolger sang the song, and I don't know why this guy wrote the book. But what I got out of it at age eight never went away. I can't believe I still remember this thing. It depends on how you look at things. Not a chicken, not a turkey, not a duck or goose. I'm a chirkin-deuce. What in the world is a chirkin-deuce? How can that be? Bottom line, Chirk and Deuce saves the barnyard. Nobody understood the Chirk and Deuce. Nobody liked the Chirk and Deuce. Nobody knew what to do with the Chirk and Deuce. I'm going to tell you something. God is a Chirk and Deuce. And you're not going to understand him, and I'm not going to understand him because we don't have anything to compare him to. He's unique. How can I criticize God? The criticism is, I just don't really understand what God is. He's so unique. How about this one? 
I don't always see things the way God sees them. While I was preparing this message, I had a little incident, so it got the message. Uh, these are my eye drops. Those of you who see my red eyes, I have not been drinking early this morning. I, I take these eye drops, okay? This is a very small bottle. This lasts a month. $140. Somebody's getting rich, not me. Well, it just so happened that I put these eye drops in the refrigerator every night before I go to bed. In the morning, I get them out of the refrigerator. I put them in my eyes. Then at 2 o'clock, I put them in my eyes, put them back in the refrigerator. And then at 10 o'clock at night, put them in my eyes, put it back in the refrigerator. I got up for my 2 o'clock eye drops, and my eye drops are not in the refrigerator. And I say to my wife, where are my eye drops? I don't know where your eye drops are. Where did you put them? I put them in the refrigerator. Well, they're not in the refrigerator. Okay, where did I put my eye drops? I go through the bathroom. They're not in the bathroom. I go to the chair where I usually put my eye drops. Not at the chair. I can't find my eye drops. And I am mad. Now, you would never get mad over a little stupid thing like this, would you? I mean, I cannot find them. I'm spending a couple of hours, and I can't find this little thing of eye drops. And I'm steaming mad. And in steaming mad, we get an email. This email is from friends of ours who live in Hungary, in Budapest, who are refugees who, for the first time in their life, had the opportunity to buy a little apartment, pay for it, under the new system in Hungary called mortgages. And they write me this email to tell me something terrible has happened. They've been in this house for seven years, been making their payments, and the builder has gone bankrupt the bank has declared they want all the money back and they are about to lose their house and all the money they put in it. Oh. Yeah, you know what? This, this wasn't really very important then, was it? I don't always see things the right way. Do you? And just after I got done praying for my friends in Hungary, I listened to the news, and that happened to be the day when 200 Christians were taken captive in Syria. And I, ooh, so who has a problem here? It's certainly not my problem. By the way, I found the thing later. That'd be like God, wouldn't it? I'll give it back to you after you get your sight fixed. How come we have so many problems? Because we just don't see things the way God sees things. How about this one? Do I have a little problem with God because there's so much I don't know? When I was a kid growing up, you know how we found out about things? We didn't have any TV. There was no internet. We had encyclopedias. <laughs> Did any of you have encyclopedias at home? What a stupid arrangement. They were all 10, 15 years old. Didn't make any difference. But you went to the encyclopedia. <laughs> the truth was, you just didn't know much of anything. But I'm 77 now. I've been accumulating information for years. I know almost everything now. 
Some of you know I paint paintings and I make my own frames. Well, I don't know if you've ever taken a frame apart or built a frame, but after you make a frame, you have to cut a little bevel, a little edge in it so the glass can fit there and the painting can fit there. And then you somehow have to attach that with some kind of a little metal thing. If you've ever taken a frame apart, these little metal things go in sideways like this in the frame and they hold everything together. And then sometimes you can bend those little metal things up and take the stuff out of the frame. You know what I'm talking about? For years. I've tried to figure out how you put those little metal things in that wooden frame. I've tried hammer, that didn't work, breaks the glass. <laughs> Finally, I resorted to tape. I can't put those little metal, I don't know what they are. I'll just tape it on there. And one day, unbeknownst to anybody, I am in a craft store here in town, and I see that. That's a sideways stapler. <laughs> that machine is just squeezing it, pushes a little thing right in there. And I had no idea. That's probably the only thing I never knew. <laughs> Did I make my point? I am continually realizing what I don't know. And especially what I don't know about God. So this all stands. God will do what he said he was going to do. God will use a horrible instrument to bring about the righteousness among his own people. We don't understand because we don't think like God. We don't even think like each other. We struggle with all of this as it comes to us. But the plan is simple. The righteous just live by faith. Listen to what Job wrote in chapter 42, verse 2. God, Job wrote this to God. I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. You can turn that off. Most of you know, Barbara and I just came back from Budapest, Hungary. Uh, we went there in April for a couple of weeks. And I went back there because I pastored an international church in Budapest. And I kind of started the church. I was the first pastor there. And so they had their 20th anniversary this year. So they asked me to come back and speak. A great thing, you know. So Barbara and I went. It was a delight. So uh, we shared there, enjoyed meeting people that we hadn't seen for a long time, celebrated with a church who's now gone through 20 years, and that's kind of a great thing, and it was wonderful. While we were there, we uh, met the pastor who's there now. He's been there ever since I left. He's been there for about 12 years. His name is Ronnie, of all things. You know, first Ron, then Ronnie. I said to him, why don't you use your name Ronald, and we'll call you Ronnie. He said, because Ronnie is my name. <laughs> okay, Ronnie. He's a little younger than me, but he's not very young. He's, you know, he must be pushing 60. So I said, Ronnie, I hear you're leaving the church. He said, yeah, I'm done here. And I said, well, why are you leaving? He said, I got other things to do. He's married, got kids, grown kids. Used to pastor a huge church in Memphis. I said, well, what are you going to do? Not real sure. But he said, uh, I think I'm going to move to Iraq. 
Yeah. He said, I've made uh, 16 trips into Iraq. You have? Yeah. And he said, I, I go up among the Kurdish people there, up the Kurds up in northern Iraq. He said, there's a tremendous movement of God among them. You're kidding. I've since checked with some other people, and they said, yeah, that's right. Did you know that? Oh, the media forgot to tell you that? The Kurds are coming to Christ. And I said to him, well, how are they coming to Christ? He said the same way all these Muslims come to Christ. And of course, I heard this before. They have dreams and visions. And they're coming to Christ. I shared that with a Whitworth prophet last night at a graduation party. And he said, you know, Campus Crusade should rewrite the four spiritual laws for use with Muslims. It means go to bed and have a dream. Simple process. Can you imagine that God uses visions and dreams to bring people to himself? No, God can't work that way. God doesn't work that way. Oh, God is working that way. Anyhow, Ronnie and I went to the same seminary, so we had a lot of things to talk about, a lot of professors we had, and then we laughed with this. We said, you know, it's amazing to us that when those people who taught us all those years and who wrote all those theology books, the ones we had to read and take exams on, they never had a chapter in there about how God reaches people through visions and dreams. They know. What else don't we know that God is doing? So while we were in Budapest, we have some wonderful refugee friends who have found a ministry as Hungarian citizens now. They have a ministry among some people called the Roma. Roma are what we would refer to as gypsies. I did a little research on this. There are between 10 and 16 million Roma in Europe. Now, if you don't know anything about these people, which you probably don't know much, these are the underclass of the underclass. These people are despised. They can't even live in towns. So we said to our friends, well, we'd like to go see what you're doing among the Roma. And so they said, OK. So we took a four-hour car trip from Hungary down across the border into Croatia. And we went to a Roma village in Darda. Now, they don't live in the town of Darda. They live out on the trash dump of Darda, a little village of Roma people. I got to speak in a Roma church. Oh, these people are coming to faith in Christ? The last night we were in Budapest, we had dinner with the head of the Roman Bible Union. He's an interesting guy, he's a Brit. He's moving among the Roma people all the way along the border of Hungary and Croatia and Serbia. He said, you can't believe what is happening here. You can't believe it. God is calling out a people for himself. Now, those, those Roma can't do anything. I mean, you've got to be educated and intellectual and trained. But God's calling them to himself. It's crazy. But it's happening. I hope that encourages us. 
because we have a tendency not to see things the way God sees things. We have a tendency to get stuck on the Habakkuk stuff. And God wants us to know that, hey, trust me. Trust me and be righteous by walking in faith. That's enough. I'll take care of all the rest. And I don't care if that involves a problem in your family, if that involves a situation in your life, if that involves a situation in our country, in our city, or a situation in our world. Either there is a God who is the chirk induce that we do not understand, but will bring it all to pass as he planned. Trust him. The righteous will live by faith. Period. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are always amazed at your mercy, at your grace, at your provision, what you do. We're amazed at what you have done in our own lives. We're amazed at every opportunity you give us. Oh, Lord, God, continue to grant us the vision of the righteous as we testify to others and walk by faith in you. Thank you for the reminder from an Old Testament prophet named Habakkuk. In your name, Lord God, through Jesus, amen.